This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Congressman Magaziner, it's great to see you. It's been, really, I think the last time we did this, you were still treasurer, Magaziner, perhaps Congressman-elect. So the first question is, how is it being in this new life back and forth between Rhode Island and Washington? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a tremendous honor to represent our state. Uh, I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity and working hard to make the most of it. Um, you know, Washington is an interesting place. I, I have some wacky co-workers, to say the least, but um, uh, but I'm also uh, very optimistic that we can still get some good things done. Um, so it's, you know, I'm six months in, still learning a lot, um, but, uh, uh, you know, very determined to fight for the things that Rhode Islanders sent me to Washington to fight for, for uh, standing up for workers, for Social Security and Medicare, for abortion rights, and uh, and all the rest. So, uh you know, so far, so good. Highlights from the first six months, anything that jumps out on your end? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, in the House chamber, there's there's just been a lot of drama and a lot of dysfunction under Speaker McCarthy and the Republican leadership. Um, you know, it started out that way when it took them 15 votes to elect a speaker the first time that had happened in 150 years. Then we had the debt ceiling crisis, which was really a, a manufactured crisis by the Republicans. Uh, and uh, now we seem to be heading toward a possible government shutdown uh, on the horizon as well. And it's too bad because, you know, I think that the American people are tired of hyper-partisanship. They're tired of games. They're tired of mudslinging. They just want to see their elected officials working together to try to get things done. So, you know, I'm I'm willing to work with anyone, Republican, Democrat, or otherwise, uh, if it'll help Rhode Islanders. And I think that most members of Congress feel that way. I, you know, even a number of the Republicans who I've gotten to know, even if I disagree with them on some things, they're good people who want to do well. Unfortunately, in order to be elected speaker, Kevin McCarthy basically gave the keys of the House over to the 20 or 30 most radical members of the Republican caucus. And so that's who's been setting the agenda. And it's it's created a lot of gridlock. But I, I think that Hopefully they will burn out, uh, you know, over time uh, and people will just get sick of it. But, uh, uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting first six months, to say the least. You and I are about the same age. And it's interesting because in in our lifetime, certainly in political primaries, you see the intra party dynamics that are at play. You can call it the far extreme of any of the two major parties versus the quote unquote more moderate. But rarely has it been exercised in real time in government as it has been in recent times. And of course, there's been the Tea Party and there's been the progressive movement. And you can look at that in the state legislature as well here in Rhode Island or other places. But it does feel like right now the intra-party dynamics are as much of a factor as inter-party dynamics in Congress, particularly what you just mentioned there, that sort of Freedom Caucus portion of the Republican Party What's that been like to navigate? Where do you fit into that sort of re- new machine, yeah. if you will? So I'd I make a few observations. Um, first of all, within the Democratic caucus in Congress, there is much more unity and much more, I think, positive relationships within the caucus than, than frankly, even I was expecting. Um, it's not a dynamic where, you know, progressive Democrats and moderate Democrats are at their throat, you know, at each other's throats and that, you know, we're arguing with each other in caucus meetings. 
on the Democratic side, it's actually quite friendly. And while there are disagreements, they tend to be friendly disagreements. Um, but you could see that unity on display during the speaker vote, for example, where unanimously we chose Hakeem Jeffries and Catherine Clark to be our leaders. Um, it wasn't even contested on, uh, within the caucus because, again, there, there was quite a bit of unity there. Um, on a lot of high-profile votes, the debt ceiling vote, um, the you know censure of Adam Schiff, like a lot of these things, um, you've seen Democrats unified in very few breaking ranks, so to speak. On the Republican side, in contrast, um, there's clearly more division, but but in particular, there's 30 or so very far to the right members, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and Lauren Boeberts and Matt Gaetzes. And they realized at the beginning of the session that McCarthy needed their votes in order to be elected speaker. And so they extracted a number of promises out of him that have basically allowed out of 435 members, the most extreme of the 30, you know, for the most extreme 35 of the 435 are setting the agenda. And and I think they they were clever in how they did it. So, for example, one of the things that they demanded in order for voting for McCarthy for speaker was having a bunch of their own members put in charge of key committees. Um, a number of their members were put on what's called the rules committee and the rules committee in the House is like the gatekeeper committee for which bills make it to the floor and which bills don't. It essentially, by taking control of the rules committee, the extremists on the far right gave themselves a, a essentially a veto on anything coming to the floor. And so McCarthy, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, really gave the keys of the House over to to the most radical members of his party. A lot of the other Republicans that I talked to, they don't like it and they're frustrated by it. Uh, but unfortunately, they haven't had the guts to speak up publicly because they're afraid uh, that, you know, right wing media will will vilify them if they speak up. But, um, you know, it, it's but it's just not tenable because I think the the demands now that the far, far right in the House are making are literally impossible. Like they're calling for spending cuts so significant that things that are broadly popular, like Social Security and Meals on Wheels and school lunches would be on the chopping block. The military budget would be on the chopping block. And it's just not going to work. And so, you know, I think their extremism is going to catch up with them. But but for now, McCarthy has been uh, enabling that extremism. And it's um, and it's frustrating everyone. I think I think uh, certainly last week, we had our seventh week in a row in, in Washington and uh, in, in the House. And, you know, things were starting to go off the rails a little bit, I think. And people were just getting cranky. And so um, I think the leadership is probably glad that we are all back home for a couple of weeks. And, you know, maybe uh, uh, everybody will come back with cooler heads. We'll see. It'll be interesting to monitor how much productivity versus, I guess, that dynamic of productivity versus sort of digging your heels in on uh, either yeah. ideological or just sort of bureaucratic mechanics. Um, that that dynamic is going to be interesting to see how it plays out over the next couple of months. Yeah, you know, it's productivity versus theater, right? Because there are a lot of things that we need to get done. Like we need to pass uh, a farm bill. The farm bill comes up once every five years. It's not something that people, you know, the average person thinks a lot about, but it's really important, not just for farmers, but for um 
keeping food prices as low as they reasonably can be, you know, in, in this era of inflation. Like I hear about the cost of food from voters more than almost anything else. And so that's hugely important. Um, the Farm Bill, you know, sets policy around nutrition programs, things like SNAP. Um, and so this is like a must pass bill. The defense bill is going to come up another must pass bill, um, you know, bills to keep the government running, to keep Social Security running. And we need to be working on those and we need to get those done. Instead, the far right in the House, you know, what are they talking about? They're talking about impeaching Joe Biden and impeaching Secretary Mayorkas and impeaching Secretary Blinken and unimpeaching Donald Trump, which is not even a thing that but like they're they, they're trying to move on on canceling the two Trump impeachments like they're focused on kind of exercising Donald Trump's revenge fantasies uh, and not on doing the real work of governing. And um, but again, it's just not tenable at some point. Uh, cooler heads have to prevail and we have to remember why people sent us to Congress. It was to get things done to help people, not for political theater. Right now, you're the only sitting congressperson from Rhode Island as Congressman Cicilline is now running the Rhode Island Foundation. There's a special election coming up. I think there's about 150 candidates in the in the Democratic primary. There may be another significant candidate go- getting in. We'll see if uh, Speaker Shikarchi makes that decision or not. I've heard people confidently saying, oh, he's definitely getting in and he's definitely not getting in who are supposedly insiders. We'll find out. In any case, I'll give you the opportunity to make an endorsement in that primary. But more than anything, I wonder from your standpoint now, six months in, what are you looking for in a partner, uh, in in somebody who can advocate on behalf of the state um, and work with you on a statewide level? What are you looking for in somebody who would be an ideal candidate in that CD1 race? Well, I think there are several good candidates in the race. So I'm, I've, I've not made an endorsement. And at this point, I think I'm not likely to um, because there are several people running who I think would make excellent members of Congress. Um, you know, what I'm looking for, number one, somebody who reflects Rhode Island's values, you know, who's prepared to fight uh, to make sure that workers get a fair shot, to fight for uh, the right of women to make their own health care decisions, fight for LGBTQ Americans whose rights are also under attack fight for a transition to clean energy. These are all things that are not just the right thing to do, but are also broadly popular in Rhode Island. So that's number one, is is elect somebody with the right values. Number two is you have to be able to work with people. You know, in a, in a chamber of 435 people, no one gets anything done by themselves. And so um, the ability to build relationships and maintain relationships with people that you may not agree with all the time is an important part of legislating. And so you have to have, I think, the right temperament for that. And then third, I'd say just a passion for Rhode Island. Um, One of the things historically in Rhode Island that that we've done very well is, uh, I think almost every year out of the last 20 years, we have brought back more in federal dollars per capita than we have paid in federal taxes per capita. And it is because we've always had a congressional delegation that fights to bring resources back to the state. And now that I'm in Congress and I'm learning, you know, from Jack and Sheldon and David, the mechanics of how that works, um, there are things that you can do to advocate for your state and bring resources back, but but you got to make it a priority and you got to fight hard for it. And so, you know, I, I think we would all like to make sure that uh, our next partner in the delegation can join us in, in doing that. Last night, CNN published the kind of looming 
audio of Trump, uh, former President Trump, discussing classified documents. I mean, this is like kind of crazy when you really think about it because it's it's battle plans essentially for what would be sort of an effort to topple the regime in Iran. He did so in a very casual manner, evidently aware that he was being recorded. It just sort of showed a nonchalance. It also kind of opens up the documents investigation to a whole new level for the general public uh, to observe. Your thoughts on the Trump situation as a whole, including the, the indictments and this most recent release uh, by CNN of audio that certainly shows the president was well aware that he had classified materials. Yeah, it's certainly a very serious situation. Um, First of all, we have to start with the principle that uh, in our country, no one is above the law, Uh, not a president, not a former president. Uh, Everyone, we are a nation of laws. And so we need to wait for the legal process to play out. Uh, President Trump is entitled to due process in his day in court, just like anyone else would be. But certainly the charges are very serious uh, for uh, information that you know, has to do with America's nuclear secrets to be exposed, uh, information that could put our country and our troops at risk uh, for that to be exposed is is very serious. And um, again, everyone's entitled to their day in court and, and we have to let the process play out. But uh, to have a tape of somebody saying, I did this thing and I know it's illegal, but I did it anyway. And here, look at the illegal thing that I did. I wish I had done it legally, but I didn't. It was illegal. I mean, I have to think that that's every prosecutor's dream to have a tape like that. Um, but, you know, we should let the process play out and uh, and he should be treated no better or no worse uh, than anyone else would be in uh, uh, in a criminal proceeding. What's the chatter like in D.C. right now around the presidential election where you have Trump still widely popular and still really the face of the GOP when it comes to that that 2024 election. Of course, there's also some chatter around the president and his fitness to continue on, but those two personalities certainly are still obviously with with the president and even with Trump. They're the dominant figures in presidential politics. Is that something that you're hearing uh, comfort with when it comes to both people in Congress and those who are around you in Washington? You know, presidential elections these days are always close, so you never feel comfortable. You never feel totally confident. Um, But I I think there are a lot of reasons for Democrats and and all Americans to feel good uh, heading into the next presidential cycle. First of all, uh, President Biden has a great set of accomplishments to run on. Uh, It's really quite remarkable. Um, You know, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is lowering drug prices for seniors, including capping the cost of insulin. The bipartisan infrastructure bill fixing roads and bridges and replacing lead pipes across the country. The CHIPS Act to jumpstart American manufacturing again. Uh, You know, being tough with Russia and supporting Ukraine and and its fight for freedom, which is absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, And standing up for fundamental rights, like the right of women to make their own health care decisions. So President Biden has a lot to run on and uh, I think a very impressive set of accomplishments. Uh, In contrast, you know, I mean, you have Donald Trump uh, indicted now for showing America's most closely guarded military secrets around in his private club for paying hush money to a porn star and possibly more to come. 
I think in that contrast, you know, President Biden comes out looking pretty darn good. And the data that I see, the polling that I see, Americans are kind of frustrated with all politicians and understandably so because we have too much gridlock in the system. Uh, but consistently, uh, President Biden's numbers are still better than President Trump's. To be fair, uh, there are very few politicians anywhere in the country that have, you know, really strong numbers these days. But, um, you know, I think people are just ready to be done with the constant chaos and scandal uh, uh, of uh, the Trump presidency and and prefer the results oriented uh, uh, orientation of President Biden. Yeah, it almost feels like the Trump doctrine when it's all said and done will be that of chaos. You know, he sort of came in in a notion of chaos and we're going to shake things up, drain the swamp. There was frequent chaos when he was president. And now in his post-presidency, it is nothing but a sea of uh, one day to the next bizarre tweets or whatever they are, truth, truths on his truth social and obviously these indictments. And you wonder if that alone will outperform the sort of magnetic personality that he's he's built and the message that he's he's been able to deliver to a certain chunk of the country that that loves what he has to say yeah i i, I think so i mean people are tired right like after four years of the trump presidency people were just exhausted and tired of a new scandal or a new um crisis every other day and they wanted you know a return to decency and uh, I think that's what President Biden brought is is a real decency to the office. And, you know, my Republican colleagues in Congress don't seem to have learned the lesson that uh, voters are rejecting extremism. Uh, you know, in 2016, I'm sorry, in 2020, when when Biden beat Trump, that was a rejection of extremism. When Democrats overperformed expectations last year, that was the voters again rejecting Trump style extremism. And so. You know, our, our leader in the House, Hakeem Jeffries, our Democratic leader, likes to say, you know, we are team normal on the Democratic side versus team extreme. And I think that in that contrast, the American people want team normal, not team extreme. Lastly, here coming up in just about an hour from the time we're recording this, you, you have a press conference on the introduction of the Keeping Gun Dealers Honest Act. It's National Gun Violence Awareness Month. Uh, talk about that and and the role that gun dealers and and whether it be the small shops, the larger scale shops, even to a certain extent, gun shows. What are they? Why is this important from your standpoint? Yeah, so we we have a huge gun violence problem in this country. Uh, the numbers are just astronomical and getting worse, not better. Uh, we need to crack down on gun violence, but we also need this conversation to become less political and. I really feel that the bill that I'm introducing uh, this week uh, is one that people of all persuasions can can get behind. And, and here's how it works. If you look at the guns that are committed, that are used when crimes are committed, uh, the vast majority of the guns used in crimes are sold into the market by a small percentage of gun sellers, gun dealers. The vast majority of gun stores, gun shops, you know, gun dealers that you see in Rhode Island around the country they do the right thing. They perform background checks as they're required to do. They keep the proper paperwork. But there are a small number of bad actor gun dealers who over and over again fail to perform background checks, falsify records, put guns into the hands of people who are not supposed to get guns under the law. And 
in our system, in our country, when gun dealers do that, uh, they get a slap on the wrist. Uh, the penalties are not significant. And so what my bill does is increase the penalties on gun dealers who fail to perform background checks as they are required to do under the law, uh, falsify records, knowingly sell guns to people who are not eligible to buy guns, uh, stiffens the penalties so that uh, there's real accountability. This does not uh, restrict the ability of legal gun owners uh, in any way. It does not penalize gun dealers that are doing the right thing in any way. Uh, we are just focused on the bad actors in this bill. And it is my hope that um, this is something that people across the political spectrum can come together on and say, hey, if we want to get serious about cracking down on gun violence, let's focus on people who are breaking the law and um, and prevent them from continuing to do so by selling guns to people who aren't supposed to have them. Congressman Seth Magaziner, always a pleasure and um, nice to be able to call you Congressman Magaziner, not Treasurer Magaziner, Candidate Magaziner. Well, thank you for having me and uh, uh, you know, happy to come back anytime. I appreciate uh, everything you do, Bill. We are brought to you in part by the University of Rhode Island Online, who are offering a cannabis certificate program. The legalization of recreational cannabis that went into effect last year can open doors for your career. If you are already in the industry or wondering what the best path to break into the cannabis field is, well, the University of Rhode Island has a program to help you become highly competitive in numerous areas of the cannabis industry. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, the certificate program is 100% online and can be completed in just two semesters. Learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or give them a call at 401 874 5280. We're brought to you in part by CCA Health Rhode Island. Commonwealth Care Alliance, or CCA, is a multi-state integrated care system influencing innovative models of complex care nationwide. CCA's Uncommon Care model focuses on sustainable and evidence-based healthcare breakthroughs that improve the health and well-being of people with significant needs and is consistently recognized as one of the best models in the country at identifying and serving traditionally hard-to-reach individuals. CCA is excited to bring Uncommon Care to Rhode Islanders with a range of Medicare Advantage plans. Learn more by visiting commonwealthcarealliance.org backslash Rhode Island.